Last August, atmospheric scientist Andrew Dessler was asked to fact-check an article. There was essentially nothing, nothing that I would say was correct in the article, in its factual statements about climate science. Andrew Dessler is an expert on climate change at Texas A&M University, who's previously advised the federal government. He was doing some fact-checking work for a nonprofit organization called Climate Feedback. So Climate Feedback reached out to me to fact-check an article that had appeared in the Washington Examiner in August of 2019. The Washington Examiner is a conservative news website, and this article was starting to gain traction on Facebook. Now, Climate Feedback is one of the organizations that does fact-checking work for Facebook. They have a partnership. So when Andrew and four other climate scientists did the fact-check, they determined... It's 100% bullshit. There are people out there whose job it is to muddy the waters, and that essentially is what this op-ed is. It's there to sow confusion and to make people believe that we don't understand the physics of the climate system, when we really do. We understand it extremely well. And we all agreed the article is terrible. I've been doing this for a very long time. Crazy stuff gets written about climate change all the time. It stays in my head about 12 seconds after I'm done evaluating it. So it was out of my mind. But a few weeks later, Andrew learned from a story online that Facebook had actually pulled the fact-check rating from the Washington Examiner article. So when people shared it on Facebook, it no longer came with a warning stating that the article was false. Facebook had essentially changed their ruling on it by invoking this opinion loophole. That opinion loophole, a way around Facebook's fact-checking process, is at the center of today's episode. We're going to explain it and talk about why Facebook's inconsistent stance on fact-checking is putting us all at risk. Because even though Facebook has said that it wants to stop the spread of misinformation on its platform, the decisions it made surrounding this article suggest something totally different. I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. The article Andrew Dessler fact-checked is an opinion piece that was published almost a year ago. It was written by climate skeptic Patrick Michaels and Caleb Stewart Rossiter, the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. The CO2 Coalition has close ties to the fossil fuel industry and regularly undermines climate change action by questioning the science. So, Andrew, what exactly did you think of the article? The article's a bit of a house of cards. So they start off with a false claim, which is that all of climate science is built on climate models. And then they go on to say climate models are not trustworthy uh, because we've compared them to this one data set. And if you compare it a certain way, the models don't look so good. Um, And therefore, you can't rely on the models and everything that climate science tells you is debatable. And the article is completely wrong. If all we had were climate models, nobody would believe climate science. I wouldn't believe it if all we had was climate models. But in fact, climate science is built on fundamental physics. It's built on simple conceptual models. And it's built on these giant computer climate simulations. It's built on all three of them. And it's all three of them working together that give us so much confidence in what we understand about the climate, that the earth is warming and humans are to blame and the risks are potentially severe. And so everything about the article from the top down to the bottom was 
wrong or correct but misleading. And so you send this assessment back to Climate Feedback, and that then turns into a label that people see when they share the article, stating that it contains falsehoods. But that's just for a while, because Facebook actually removed the label. All of the people who had fact-checked it, and people were irritated. And, you know, we kind of discussed what's going on here. And then we heard there was this opinion loophole, and that was basically the end of it. When you found out that actually your fact check had been overruled by Facebook via this loophole. How did you feel? Like, you don't seem super upset. Yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I've been doing this since the late 90s. Uh, My outrage tank is empty. So, you know, things like this happen all the time and I just move on because there's going to be another article down the line that is going to be just as offensive and uh, misleading and uh, you know, you'll respond to that. I, I think um, what makes this a big deal is not so much the climate misinformation, but the role of Facebook in not doing anything about it. The, the real story here is is Facebook and how Facebook deals with misinformation. The level of just rigor in this particular fact check, like the idea that there were five PhD climate scientists, like looking at this article in the Washington Examiner, this was like the most rigorous fact check I've ever seen. I was shocked. Judd Legum is a reporter and founder of the politics newsletter Popular Information. He and a journalist named Emily Atkin recently looked into this opinion loophole at Facebook and what their fact checking process looks like. Judd, can you walk us through how Facebook handled the article in the Washington Examiner as far as the fact-checking process goes? Well, it started off just very normally as the fact-checking process is supposed to go, meaning that uh, Andrew Dessler, four other PhD climate scientists, took a look at a column uh, that was uh, published in the Washington Examiner about climate change models. They determined that this article is false. And they put a false label on it. There's now a big overlay that says fact-checked by the independent fact-checkers as false. And it's kind of warning you against sharing it. So then, immediately after they do that, when anyone tries to publish that article on Facebook or, or, or post the link to Facebook, you get that warning. And then that's when the authors of the article got upset. And there's a group called the CO2 Coalition, which is affiliated with the authors of the column. They wrote a letter to Mark Zuckerberg and said that they essentially argued that it was true uh, and that they were being censored and that the fact checkers themselves were were biased, uh, had a political bias and an axe to grind against them. And sometime after that letter, Facebook itself removed the designation of false. And at that point, the column, when you posted it to Facebook, no longer had that designation. They essentially reversed the ruling. Last fall was when this was all going on. Um, what they said at the time was that this was part of a decision to roll out a new policy that any opinion piece would not be 
subject to fact checking. But you can look at their policy on their on their website, their fact checking policy, and there is no provision that allows Facebook to step in and reverse the decision of a fact checker because they decided that something was opinion. And they emphasize this as a big point, that this is an independent process, that they're not involved, and that if you have a problem with the rating, you as the publisher, you know, if, you're, if you write something and it's rated false, like people get upset, right? Like it's, nobody wants to have their stuff labeled false. And you're supposed to go and appeal to the fact checker. And you can either try to convince them that it's not false, or you can correct the article. You know, and if you correct the article and the fact checker thinks that the article is now correct, they can remove the label. Okay, so let's talk about Facebook's policy. What does Facebook say its fact checking process should look like? What Facebook does is they look at publications that have been certified uh, by a group called the International Fact Checking Network, uh, which is run by Pointer, um, which is a, a journalistic enterprise. And they essentially certify publications to say, okay, you have a legitimate fact-checking organization in our view. So some of those people that are certified by that organization become partners with Facebook. And they can either just pick out things that are posted to Facebook and fact-check them. And so speaking about, you know, the fact-checking process for any given article, what does that actually look like? Like, what what is the determination that these fact-checking organizations have to make? So. Effectively, what happens is these fact checkers work independently. They're not part of Facebook, uh, and they'll look at the article, and in their judgment, they assign a category, a, a determination to a piece of content. And that could be false, partially false, true. Those are the main ones. There's some other ones that they've added along the way, like false headline. Uh, satire, opinion, prank generator, I guess just to deal with people who are just generating prank articles that are then published to Facebook. If it's rated false, it is marked as false. And then also, if you decide to ignore that warning and share it anyway, its distribution is reduced. It's not fed into the newsfeed as much as an article that's not fact-checked. Uh, And also there's a link associated with that link to the piece that was written by the fact checker explaining why they decided that it was false. Oh, interesting. Okay, so this is actually like a pretty robust system. How long has this been around? It's been around just a few years. Uh, It is pretty robust in the sense that when something is fact checked, most of the people are pretty rigorous about the process. The real problem with it is just the amount of things that get fact-checked, you know, and I, I've done some reporting on this. And for the month of January, for example, there were, I think, in the United States, 300 pieces that went under this fact-checking process around that. Okay, so not a lot. So it's, it's not a lot. You know, there's hundreds of millions of Facebook users. They're publishing millions of pieces of content a day. And so there's just a few that are able to get fact-checked. So it's also not necessarily super timely, right? You can have something get shared a bunch of times before it ever gets fact-checked. Right. Most of the stuff that gets fact-checked has been posted a week or longer before it is fact-checked. 
And so in internet time, you know, that might as well be 20 years, right? Like most of the sharing and consumption of these things is done within the first week. And to be clear, when an article is deemed fully false, it is not removed from the platform. It is not like prevented from being shared. No, you can still share it. It's still on the platform. It just has this warning label on it. And so if I were to share that Washington Examiner article on Facebook today, there wouldn't be a label on it, right? No, no label. Do we have a sense for who within Facebook now has the power to decide what qualifies as opinion and what kind of criteria they're using to judge this? The rules as they are written continue to state that it would be the fact checker, whether that's the Associated Press, whether that's the Daily Caller who actually operates as a fact checker for Facebook, they would make that decision. It would not be Facebook. But we know from this instance, and we don't know if this has happened before or since, that Facebook will step in and remove a designation. So the decision to exclude opinion pieces, and specifically ones on climate change in this case, was that directly related to the efforts of this CO2 coalition and the authors of this piece? That we don't know, because Facebook to this day still hasn't explained their decision. It came to the attention of me and Emily, my co-author on the piece, when the CO2 coalition came out and said, well, now that we've established this exception for opinion, we plan on really using Facebook to get our views out and our ideas out because the mainstream media is ignoring us. Uh, And so they're planning on really trying to exploit this. We received a comment for Facebook for our piece, but the comment does not explain what the policy is or why Facebook staff got involved in determining that this was opinion or what the process would be moving forward. And I know from speaking to people inside of Facebook that there's a lot of confusion inside of Facebook as to what happened and what's going on with this story. People don't know what happened. So what you're telling me right now is that organizations like CO2 Coalition might actually be looking at this new policy that isn't actually a policy because it hasn't been announced as a major loophole that they'll be able to exploit. I think they definitely are. They, they're on the record. With, they, they spoke with a, uh, an industry publication and said that was their intention. And since then, I've noticed that there's a lot of random websites, particularly ones with large audiences they're trying to drive from Facebook, who have begun to label every single piece uh, that they publish to their website. There's a big disclaimer at the top saying, this is an opinion piece. And so I think that there is a move, particularly by people who have been dinged by fact checkers in the past, uh, and this is a big deal for them, to try to use this potential policy, this maybe policy, where Facebook will exempt opinion to get away with saying whatever they want. Does this now mean that for Facebook, climate change science is now a matter of opinion? That's the signal that they are sending. That's the signal that the CO2 coalition received, that their views on climate science are now protected as an opinion. Whether they follow through with that and whether that's the case, I think that's what's up in the air now. What impact will Facebook treating false information on climate change as opinion 
have on all of us? And is anything being done about this loophole? That's after the break. This is Reset. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. This week on The Pitch, we're back to pitches. And this one's coming from my job. What Podcast AI does is it lets podcast producers become 10 times more productive. How much are you charging the pitch? We're charging $99, and Josh came in right before we doubled our prices. Mm-hmm. What's keeping something like a restream from just going like, yep, we do all this AI now stuff too? So there's a lot of these older companies that are tacking on AI, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the issue. They're tacking it on. You built this really quickly. What's to stop anybody else from doing this? What's, what's the moat? How do you build a moat when you're building with AI? That's this week on The Pitch. Go right now and subscribe to The Pitch wherever you listen to podcasts. It's sort of hard to overstate the consequences of misinformation and disinformation when it comes to fighting climate change. Disinformation has been the key strategy of the fossil fuel industry to prevent action on climate change for the last 30 to 40 years. That's well-documented. This is Emily Atkin, a reporter and author of a climate change newsletter called Heated. Judd and Emily wrote about this case in Heated last month after learning that the CO2 coalition was planning to exploit the opinion loophole. As soon as fossil fuel companies found out that the earth was warming primarily because of their products and that the consequences would mean that they would have to stop selling their products, their main strategy was, okay, let's launch a campaign to sow doubt in the public's mind about whether or not this is really happening so that we have the most time possible to make the most amount of money, which sounds like it's an evil plot in a movie and couldn't possibly be true, but but it actually is. And so any opportunity that interests uh, in the fossil fuel industry get to continue spreading misinformation and, and disinformation about climate science is part of that campaign to delay climate policy. Emily, you use the word disinformation and misinformation. What's the difference between these two terms and why are you using them? 
it's really important for me to characterize the difference between misinformation and disinformation because misinformation is something that is perhaps unintentional. Perhaps you actually really truly believe in your heart that climate change isn't real. And maybe you did some sort of rudimentary analysis on climate models to say that it, that they're, that you believe they aren't correct. And that's deeply felt in your heart. But what the fossil fuel industry has done over the last 30, 40 years is disinformation. And that is an intentional skewing of the facts as they know it in order to achieve an end. So intentional propaganda about climate change that aims to make people think that climate change isn't real or isn't as bad as people say it is. It's intended to make you think that there are two sides. It's intended to just make you doubt that the science is strong enough to justify the very severe and aggressive action needed to solve climate change. I mean, if you were going to support the policies really needed to do something meaningful about climate change, then you really need to believe that catastrophe is coming. And catastrophe is coming. That's what the science says if we don't do something. But if you have even a little bit of doubt in your mind that maybe it's not going to happen, you probably wouldn't want to do the things that climate science requires because they're they're big things. Okay, so for you, this isn't a story about this one article. This is a story about the impact of Facebook overruling its own independent fact-checkers. And now, this way of explaining away falsehoods by saying that facts contained in an article don't matter because it's an opinion piece might get exploited by other groups. Yeah, I'm saying this is about Facebook treating science as if it's opinion. I mean, imagine if Facebook had said an article about coronavirus science was just opinion. And the article said that if you cough on another person's face and you have coronavirus, it's not going to make a difference. And they just labeled it opinion and let it go on without a fact check. That's a scientific claim. And it's the same thing with climate science. So, Emily, you've written about this Facebook thing with Judd Legum for your heated newsletter. What's happened since you published that newsletter? Well, the first thing that happened was a group of sort of high-profile climate environmental activists had come together to write a letter to Facebook's oversight board to ask them to consider closing the loophole for opinion content, especially for climate denial. They basically argued that this is the same as spreading misinformation about coronavirus. If you wouldn't do it for that, then you shouldn't do it for this. The people who signed the letter were Tom Steyer, who was a Democratic presidential candidate who focused on climate change. Um, Carol Browner, former EPA administrator. Gina McCarthy, a former EPA administrator, Michael Brune, head of the Sierra Club, uh, Stacey Abrams, former Georgia gubernatorial candidate. So big names. We'll, we'll see what happens on that. The other thing that happened is there is a large campaign to boycott Facebook from its advertisers, originally intended just to sort of stop racism and hate speech, but eventually amended to include disinformation and scientific disinformation, climate change specifically. So what's the takeaway from all of this for you? This is another example of one of our most powerful institutions not understanding what a fact is. 
what science is, how science matters. You know, we're, we're living through a time where we're realizing how important it is to listen to scientists about the biggest issues facing society. And yet our biggest social media network can't differentiate fact and opinion when it comes to climate change. When I see this story, I see a story about how disinformation is allowed to spread through ignorance. The ignorance in this case being that Facebook refuses to say what is fact and what is opinion. Hmm. The fact is that climate science is facts. If you if you subscribe to the notion that peer-reviewed science is a thing and that there are such things as objective truths, then, then I don't understand how we can be at the year 2020 and not understand that climate change is an objective truth. The influence, power, and money of people who would like us to forget that is still very strong, and this is just one more way it's manifesting. And that's how I see the story. Emily Atkin is the founder and author of The Heated Newsletter. Emily, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. We reached out to Facebook for comment, and a spokesperson said, quote, Our longstanding guidance to the independent fact-checkers has been that clear opinion content is not subject to fact-checking on Facebook. Unsurprisingly, that includes opinion editorials. As our policy states clearly, if publishers want to dispute a fact-check rating, they are to do so directly with the fact-checker. Facebook's third-party fact-checkers can rate climate-related content. There has never been a prohibition on their doing so. We also reached out to Patrick Michaels, one of the authors of the Washington Examiner article, and didn't hear back by our deadline. Caleb Stewart-Rossiter of the CO2 Coalition and the other author of the article wrote in an email to us that Facebook, quote, followed its long-held policy of not censoring opinion. He added that it's incorrect to say that CO2 Coalition plans to take advantage of Facebook's opinion loophole. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Duemros. But you don't have to say it that way. If you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Will Reed and Skylar Swenson produce the show. Amy Drovzdowska is our editor. Our audio engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Friday. Later, nerds. <laughs>